Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you that we could come together, that we could worship you, that we could study your word, that we could study in a, in a format such as Sunday school that allows some give and take, people to ask questions, get answers, Father. And we just thank you that you are such a gracious God. You, you feed us in so many ways, whether it's singing the hymns that, that, that teach us the, the theology, remind us of who you are, or it's, it's, it's listening to the word read, or, or the, the praying out loud publicly. Or the, the, the time spent in study, Father, you are, you are wonderful. You, are, you go above and beyond to make sure that we understand who you are. We understand how much your son has done for us and that we grow in our appreciation. And truly, we grow in our imaging Christ because of the power of your spirit at work in us. You are a God who is ever interactive with us. And we just thank you. You don't wind the clock up and, and walk away. You are intimately involved in our lives. We thank you. We ask that your spirit would guide us this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. By the way, that reference to winding up a clock and leaving us on our own, that would be a deus that believes that, that God set things in motion and then he, poof, he's really not involved. He just lets things play out. We are not deus. Which, by the way, a little bit of information. Oftentimes you'll hear people say that uh, the uh, founders of the of the Constitution um, were all Christians. Actually not. Most of them were deists, which means that if you believe that, you, you, you don't have a right understanding of God himself. So we want to be careful. Not all of them were deists, but that was the, the predominant state of their faith of, the, of ours. So sometimes people get confused and call the United States of America a Christian country. It's not a Christian country. It's a country that was founded on Christian, Judeo-Christian principles, but it would, it would take a theocracy, us recognizing God as our king, as a, as a people, as a governance, for it to be a, a true Christian establishment. Okay, let's go ahead and let me explain some things. We did the Old Testament version of this last year. We're starting uh, this, this technically is the last day of this year, but we're going to start this week. This one's called the Biblical Theological Introduction to the New Testament. And this is the, and it, they've got it, uh, the subtitle, The Gospel Realized, and it's edited by Michael J. Kruger. Every week, we typically take on a different theologian or scholar that will give us perspective on the books of the Bible. So we, ha we know a little bit more about what's going on with why they structured it and whatnot. So um, you're going to hear me refer to this cool book. This is called Why Four Gospels by David Allen Black. There's a reference in your uh, handout to this book. Um, I got uh, Richard Barcellos as an instructor at, in my seminary recommended this book um, as, as uh, required reading. And I had, was absolutely amazed how much it helped me understand how the Gospels rolled out, when they rolled out, why, what were the things that they were facing, what, why did this author write his, his Gospel then when he did? Outstanding book. I believe this book corrects just two things from this book this week. So uh, um, anyways, this is just a little small book if you ever wanted to, to read it, Why Four Gospels. It'll help you understand how they're laid out and who's using, who's, who's already got a printed version, so to speak, a script. Um, and uh, they're using that, some of that structure to create the next uh, gospel and appeal to it, whatever God has placed on their heart as far as their audience and, and the themes behind it. Okay, 
So what we're going to do, so no one feels any stress or pressure, the whole front side of the page is me walking you through the, uh, what is that noise? Oh, garbage truck. I'm like, wow. Yeah, it is weird. I, and by the way, I, three weeks, no, two weeks ago, I went on antibiotics for my ear. I stopped being able to hear out of my left ear, only symptom I have. And I finished my antibiotics and my ears plugging back up. So I'm, I, don't, I don't have depth. I could not tell what that was. I just knew something loud was going over here, on over here. So uh, you weren't sure either? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> very good, very good. Okay. Um, so no one has to worry about the front page. We're not doing any. And what I'm going to do on the back page, I'm going to ask people if they want to read. So when we get to where it says message and theology in the back, there's some scripture passages. And, and I'll say, hey, who wants to take? And then I'll know who's, I'll, I'll write it down and I'll know who's getting, going to read, whatever. But don't feel pressured. If you don't, if you're like, I don't like to, to read in public, then don't. That's okay. It's more important that you listen and get, get something out of the, what's going on here. Okay, so let's go over the background of the book of Matthew. And this is, probably, this is under the, the scholarly tutelage of Reggie M. K. Excuse me, Kid. That's really weird I said K. Um, I've never heard of this scholar before. And I keep getting, by, the, by way of these books, I keep getting exposed to other scholars. And I, I, I trust the uh, uh, publisher. And I trust the editor. I know Kruger very well. I, I know his works very well, I should say. So I, uh, I, it's kind of neat that I'm getting exposed to different uh, scholars. Okay, so the background. You can look on your page and I'll read. Uh, where Matthew appears to deviate chronologically from Luke and Mark. That should be a clue. So if you're trying to line up your Gospels and it seems like Matthew isn't, he's the odd guy out, because we know that John is not chronological at all, um, or very little. Um, Maybe I should say generally chronological, John is. Um, the uh, Luke and Mark are very chronological. So where Matthew deviates, that means that Matthew's going after something theologically that he says, this is important to put here. It doesn't mean, oh, the Gospels are wrong. He didn't do that there. You've got to know what's going on with Matthew. So where Matthew appears to deviate chronologically from Luke and Mark, one has to keep in mind that Matthew arranged his Gospel the thematically. Number two. Matthew structures his gospel in a way that ties the Old and New Testament together as Israel's story. He's trying to convince the Jews that this is a continuation of Israel's story. Jesus is the Messiah. You're not doing something new or different or, or apostate. This is what is supposed to come because of what was told to us before, revealed by God. So, uh, Matthew constructures his gospel in a way that ties the Old and New Testaments together as Israel's story and the continuation of Israel's story in the new emergent church or emerging church. Another reason that Matthew's gospel has proved so serviceable for the church's teaching and preaching is its finally, is its finally balanced sense, I'm not sure if I, I, I typed that in there wrong, of Jesus' mission. It's sense that God has come among us, that's a big theme with Matthew, first, to forgive and heal. You'll see a lot of the healing that has to go with, that's what the Messiah would do when he came here, plus it demonstrates his authority and the accuracy of who he is, the Messiah. And then to remake and refashion. Well, remake and refashion, if you are from the West, you hear that with your ears, you hear, oh, he's talking individually. Yeah, he is. 
But remember, they're a Jewish nation. They think of everything through their lens of a nation. They don't think like we think in individuals. We sometimes read into the scriptures more than what the audience would have known or even the person that's speaking to the audience. So we, we want to keep that in mind. The author is the apostle, uh, excuse me, is Matthew the apostle of Christ. This is something you may not have realized. Because he's a tax collector, because he's a tax collector up in the chain, so to speak, in the chain of command, he would have been well-educated. Some of the others are, are, are the fishermen that are going to be less educated. Matthew's going to be well-educated. He's going to speak well in uh, whether it's Aramaic, it's Greek, it, or it's Hebrew. Matthew's going to be the educated of the, of the most educated of the uh, gospel writers. Um, okay, let's continue on. Date. This is where I, I, I lean on these, the next two points, lean on this book as opposed to this book. The small little book by David Allen Black is where I'm reading, getting this from. Let's see. Uh, Although several recent scholars suggest a post-70 A.D. date, that means that this was written, Matthew was written after 70 A.D., Christ dies around 30 A.D. They're saying it's at least 40 years or so after Christ dies. I don't agree with that. The... the the, the most recent scholars uh, have reasons for that. They, to me, they're not convincing, and I agree that this is more convincing. And I believe that with this, these, that Matthew is the first gospel written, not the other gospels or the other way around. Um, so we're, although several recent scholars suggest a, a post-70 A.D. date, the book's authorship predates A.D. 44. That's the absolute latest based on what it shares in the gospel that it could have been written, uh, in my opinion and, and with the opinion of David Allen Black and, and a number of other scholars. The older scholars hold on to that. There is always a tension when you're learning Christianity because you're always comparing the older scholars versus the newer scholars. How could the new, remember in the United States, in the West, new means better. Not always. Certainly it does if, it mean, if it, we have the idea we have more information about it. If we've got more archaeology that tells us more about the language or more about the culture, newer has a good chance of being more informed. But sometimes we get into this, the, the criticalness, the critical nature of scholars, and they start to leave the authority of scriptures, and they start to go over here and say, oh, because of this and that, this is, this is the way it is. And, it's, and so you always have attention. You, the people of God, have to be Bereans and be thinking through and discerning as best you can. Some of you may uh, disagree with me and say, no, actually, we agree with the or I agree with the post-AD 70 date. It's okay. It's not, a, it's not a, a foundational pillar that we can't disagree on. I want you to hear that as Christians, you can actually disagree with your pastor on those, those uh, the, the word is tertiary, those way out there kind of secondary issues on theology as you're learning and growing. I was saying something to somebody the other day. They, they were convinced that I was speaking with somebody that was convinced that they were right in all areas of theology. And my response back to them was, Paul never arrived. Paul, the greatest theologian, was always being taught by God, always connecting, always growing in his own sanctification. And as we grow in that sanctification, our eyes are less and less 
dis, uh, di, um, dimmed by uh, our sin that's within us, we, we grow in our understanding. I am not the same, the, uh, I don't hold exactly the same theology I did five years ago because God is continuing to teach me things. And I start to see things and I go, ooh, I may have been wrong about that. I need to nuance that a little bit. So be Bereans, keep, keep digging, keep understanding, keep asking, keep engaging. That's the beauty about uh, marriages or, or having a close biblical community. We can go to each other and go, is that right? Because I read about this and that and that, and then the other person can go, okay, well, what about this and that? And you go, oh, wow. So we grow together as a community in our understanding of the Lord. Okay, uh, the underneath audience, it says, Matthew is writing to an early Jewish Christian audience. So it, the reason it's Jewish Christian is because some of the Jews are accepting Christ as their savior, but his audience is, is Jews. It's the nation of Israel. Does that make sense? So it's not like there's Gentiles he's talking to. That those that were never Jewish. His primary audience is, in fact, uh, our Jews um, that are Christian. And then you, you see the reference to the book there. Let's get uh, to the purpose. Number one, to demonstrate that the Hebrew Scriptures have all along been pointing to Jesus as Messiah, the appointed one is another way of saying it, Messiah, and, inaugur and inaugurator, the one who starts here on earth, the... Uh, the, the the kingdom of God, the now and not yet. The kingdom of God has been here since God intervened into the world in the Old Testament. We know that, but we see it at another level. We see God with us. That's Matthew's big theme with the arrival of Jesus. So that's his inaugurating God's arrival at a different and distinct way to interact with us in flesh. He's incarnate. So I don't want to discount that we see the God's kingdom in the Old Testament. It's foreshadowing what's coming in, the, in the, the better sense of God with us, God physically in flesh with us. So we continue on, point number two, to show that Jesus has brought forgiveness and personal renewal, enabling a true understanding and the keeping of the, of the Torah's intent. I'm going to mention this in today's sermon. I was so messed up as a brand new Christian. My church said, when I, when I, as a law enforcement officer, wanted to know, I'm a law man, what do you do with the law? They said, oh, you get, you don't, no, we don't have any law. The law's gone. And I'm thinking, ooh, that's gotta be a problem. But I didn't know anything. So I just tucked that in my back pocket and thought, eh, I don't think the law is gone. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna continue to search out. And we ended up leaving that church, it was a very, liberal church. I didn't know that. I learned. I grew in my knowledge of God. I needed to leave this place. This is not, they do not grasp God to the degree that other Christians seem to grasp God. I don't need, I don't want to be here. So we ended up moving on in that. But the, the point is that what Matthew is doing is to say the Torah you learned originally was correct in its, in its initial form. And we have allowed it to be morphed into something that is just a bunch of rules without the heart behind it. So he's making sure that they understand that this is the same Torah. You're not abandoning the Torah if you become a Christian, is what he's trying to show. That this is all along. This is what the, the, the trajectory of the Torah was supposed to, to continue as. Point number three, to explain how Jesus, who is 
with you until the end of the age is forming a community. Matthew's very much about the, the church community. The church of Jewish and Gentile followers to model the presence of God's kingdom in the present age and to take God's mission to the, to the nations. The mission is still the same for the Jews. You are the one who are the blessing. If you are part of the true Israel, Jesus Christ, you are continuing to take the message, to take the blessing of the knowledge of who your God is to the nations. That's what we as Christians do. Okay, structure and outline. This is cool. I did not see this. I did not know this. Man, I camped out here this week going, man, this is really cool stuff. Let's take a look at this. Structure and outline. Matthew frames his portrait of Christ around five series of narratives, aligning its layout with the Torah, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, of the New Testament. Okay, so he starts off. I want you to see Roman numeral one has genealogy, birth, and infancy narratives. And that's uh, um, chapter one, uh, verse one through chapter two, 23. Then you go all the way to the bottom on Roman numeral seven, and it says, then you deal with the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the commissioning. What does Matthew do in between here? And this is how I know this author is dead on, is because look at the bridge he uses. And every one of the, from Roman numeral 2 to Roman numeral 6, look at the bridge. He says in, uh, underneath the, uh, uh, from coronation to key, keynote, the keynote is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he's, the bridge is, when Jesus had finished these words. That means it's the bridge into the next series. He's going to start a new compartment. And what he's doing here is Matthew is trying to demonstrate that the, what Christ is doing is he's modeling the five books. He's modeling at least the layout of the five books or the Torah. He's trying to get the Jews to see the Torah continues. We're not doing things that are different. You're not leaving the faith. You're continuing the faith. So look at this. So from series number one, from coronation to keynote, um, again, it, the discourse deals with the Beatitudes and all the way to the Sermon on the Mount. We've got uh, five Sermon on the Mount being uh, chapter five, verse one, all the way to seven, verse 27. And then you see where he ends that he transitions to the next series by saying when Jesus had finished these words, that leads us to series number two, which is the call to discipleship and mission, which is chapter eight, verse one through 11, verse one. Uh, the the uh, discourse is mission and the disciple of the disciples, excuse me. The bridge is, and this is cool, it's right there, when Jesus had finished commanding. New transition. We go into series number three. The wisdom of the kingdom of heaven. That's a, a chapter 11, verse 2, through chapter 13, verse 53. is dealing with the parables of the kingdom. He wants them to understand the parables of the kingdom because he's trying to build a community that honors the parable of the kingdom. You are the kingdom, you Jewish nation, you Israelites. This is what it looks like to honor the kingdom. This is what you're messing up. This is what the new church community is supposed to do. So he spends a whole section on that. It's just not coincidental that he's, he rolls out these parables of the kingdom. And then we see that the bridge goes uh, uh, on verse 13, verses, verses 53. It says, when Jesus had finished these parables. Okay, what's our next bridge? Excuse me, our next series, series number four. The shape of the church. That's chapter 13, 54 through 19, 2. And it deals with living in the kingdom and the church. When I saw that, I went, wow, I got to go back and read. In fact, this week I've, I've been working my whole, I did work my whole way through the book of Matthew again. Because it's like, no, duh. 
That's why Matthew 18 is parked where it is. Because he's trying to get the church community, I'll say it this way, the covenant believers, the community that has old Jews that now recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, and it's starting to have Gentiles in it, to realize this is how the kingdom works. And so Matthew 18 is like, oh, this makes so much sense. And all of a sudden you realize how much is about the church. I have heard so many times people say, Ecclesia is, which means church in Greek, is only in Matthew, and therefore we're not dealing with the church in, in any of the Gospels. Oh, hogwash. Come on. This demonstrates that, no, he's dealing with this new covenant community. He's trying to make them understand what it looks like to be this new covenant community. It's called the word fallacy. If so many people are biblical literalists, or, yeah, literalists, where if they don't see that word there in front of them explicitly stated, they don't want to recognize concepts that don't have that word in it. That word is only mentioned right there in, in Matthew 16. Oh, no, 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 I got that wrong. Matthew, it is Matthew 18. It's, it's written. I was thinking of uh, Matthew 16 as it deals with the keys of heaven. Um, my point is the concept is there. We have to be aware of that there can be concepts without the word. Where in the Bible, name me the book and the verse where the word Trinity is there. Good job. It's not there. Because, but the concept is all over the Bible. Uh, one God, three persons. So we've got to be careful. We don't only look for the explicit. We have to look at the concepts that are being implied. And then we see the bridge there from uh, in chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. It says, it ends with, when Jesus had finished these words, these words about the community, the new kingdom. Then finally we get to the last bridge, preparation for judgment. And um, he's going to go with the discourse, which is the woes and peril and judgment to come. He's, he wants to make sure that the Jewish people understand. Look, you think you're part of the community because you are... Jews ethically, ethnically, excuse me, you are part of the nation, the, the, the lineage. So you think you're getting into the community because your mom and dad were Jews and you calling yourself a Jew. It's not how you're part of the kingdom of God. So Matthew is really careful to make sure he covers that. And that, that, that's his, his party understanding before he gets into the crucifixion. And then uh, we see the bridge there is when Jesus had finished all these words again. So don't know if any of you had ever, has, I'm going to see a hand. Has anyone ever seen Matthew broken down into those five series um, by way of that, that wording? I had never. I, I love when I find nuggets of gold. And that, that makes me go, oh, Mr. Reggie M. Kidd, I'm going to look at some of your other books because you've got something going on. You've got a good eye. You're seeing things that I didn't see. So we got to be mindful as we think about this. Now, keep in mind, no theologian, no pastor, nobody gets everything right all the time in our faith. Got it? Not even you. I've got, I've got dear family that's looking for the right church to go and be a part of the right church, and they're not going to go to the right church until they, they find a church that gets everything right. Yeah, you're not going to find that on this side of, the, uh, of eternity. We're, we're made up of sinful believers, and we get things that we're always being reformed in our understanding, praise God. So I, I pray that one day they'll be humbled and will want to seek out a church that is in their area that is as close as they can understand, that they understand the Word of God to be preaching. Okay, let's look at message and theology. 
This is one is going to require Mark to, to walk around a little bit. We're going to, I'm going to see if anybody is interested. What do I got for time? I got a little bit of time. I want to, want to show you at least some of these. If we can't get through all of bullet point, particularly number two, then I'll jump in because we're going to definitely go through and I'm going to walk us through bullet point number three so you can see it. All right, so as we start as, uh, let me do this. Let me, let me do some, where is uh, Chidera? Chidera, I was talking about speed loaders today, the law enforcement. I'm not going to pick on you and say you have to do this. I'm going to do some, uh, get some people ready to, to speak, get, to get them all loaded and ready. Anybody want to take bullet point one? Well, you'll be reading Matthew 123, and then you'll also be re reading Isaiah 714. I'm going to put names next to this. Anybody want to, because I'm going to just assign these out. Anybody want to take that? Oh, we have a peppy crowd today. Uh, <laughs> okay, Selva, you got that. God bless you. And then, Mark, I'll, I'll keep working with you to get you to the right person. Anybody want to take bullet point number two? Matthew 2.15 and then Hosea 11.1. 1. Uh, all right, we've got Glenda. I feel like the guy who is running the auction. <laughs> All right, Matthew and bullet point three. Anybody wants to take that one with the both verses? Cynthia, thank you so much for volunteering. <laughs> her hand wasn't up, but that's what you get when you're my bride. God bless her. Uh, Cindy, we'll take that one. All right, yeah, bullet point number three on the back side there. Um, no, bullet point two, sub, sub bullet point three, where it's Matthew 8, 16 to 17. Do you see that? Okay, good. Uh, bullet point number four. Uh, good, we got Carol, and then uh, um, we'll take Sean, if you'll take bullet point number five, I saw your hand out, go up too. And then how about uh, bullet point number six there? Uh, all right, uh, we got Thomas. Um, then we can jump down, I'm, I'll read that little section in between six and seven. How about bullet point number seven? All right, well, wonderful, we got Gail. And we got two more and then we, we should be done here. Uh, bullet point number eight, anybody wanna take that one? Woody? And a girl. By the way, Woody is leading us in our accompaniment today. Woohoo! Uh, so that's, that's wonderful. We've got a deep bench. We've got some wonderful, godly uh, people who'd want to serve the Lord. And are get gifted. I could want to serve the Lord all the day over there, Woody, and I wouldn't be serving him on that, that instrument. I wouldn't, yeah, no, it would be ugly. Matthew, or excuse me, the last bullet point there, number nine. Anybody want to take that? Oh, wait a back there. You got it, Isaac. Okay, here we go. What we're gonna let me I'll take bullet point number one here and we'll get an idea. Bullet point number one, the the message and theology is Emmanuel, God with us. Big thing for Matthew. He wants to make sure that they get that the Messiah has arrived. We're not still waiting for um uh come on, Nicholas, Elijah to uh, uh come and announce the arrival. Elijah came in the person of John the Baptist. Okay, so it says, Matthew's first Matthew first anchors Jesus' life in humanity. Love that. He wants, to, he wants to emphasize that Jesus is, he wants to deal with his humanity first. And then he turns to discuss Jesus' or to show Jesus' divinity. That's God with us. God with us is not to be taken metaphorically for Matthew. For Matthew. It's not something, oh, God with us, you know. Um, it just is a concept. This is where Matthew wants to make sure they understand God with us means Jesus Christ with us. So number point, bullet point number one under number one is this. By the way, you should never do your bullet points like the way I did them, but um, I'm sure you will excuse me. There's hopefully no English teachers in here going to knock me down here on points. 
Oh, there is. Oh, Gail's in, oh, excuse me, uh, Carol's in the front row. Great. Um, all right. Okay. She's merciful. I like that. All right. Bullet point number one. That when, when his followers gather, there I am among you. And that's dealing with Matthew 18.20. And interesting, in Matthew 18.20, it's talking about the church gathering to discuss church discipline, the restoration of someone back into the church, hopefully. Then you see it again, and then bullet point number two, that whenever, wherever they may go to make disciples, I am with you always to the end of the age. The end of the age, anybody know what the end of the age is? What marks the end of the age? I, I, I only got one good ear today. Anybody? Can you, it, say it louder, I can't hear you. Or, or someone up front tell me what they're saying. All right, the end of this age, this age comes to an end when Christ's return. That's the end of the age. So that, when he says there, wherever, excuse me, that wherever they may go to make disciples, he says, this is at the, uh, after the Great Commission, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's saying, look, I'm here the whole time with you in the person of the Holy Spirit that I'm sending to dwell with you, to indwell with you. And guess what? If you're scared that the next age isn't going to have me there, I'm coming in physical person. I'm coming back. So we have got Emmanuel with us the whole time. Praise be to God. All right, let's, now let's deal with Jesus as the new Torah. Um, somebody, I'm going to read this little thing, and then uh, I'm going to have the person read Matthew the first, the Matthew passage, and then the assigned Isaiah passage, and that's Selva. It says, Matthew 123, Jesus' birth fulfills the promise that God would be among us. Go ahead, Selva. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then what, it was prophesied in Isaiah 714. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Amen. Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you. All right, let's, let's jump over to Glenda with Matthew 2.15. Jesus is the obedient and faithful son Israel was supposed to have been. Remember uh, Exodus 4.22, it talks about God says, let my, my people go for Israel is my son. He looks at the whole nation as, as his son. So let's look at Matthew 2.15. Go ahead. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And then Hosea 11.1. 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Interesting. So we have Egypt being called out, excuse me, Israel being called out a son. And we have, excuse me, called out of Egypt. Make sure I get this right. Israel being called out of Egypt as his son. What does Jesus Christ, what does Matthew make sure Jesus Christ is known for? He is called out of Egypt where he went in hiding when Herod was killing all the babies. He was called back. He was called out of Egypt back into the promised land. So we have the correlation. And, and those Jews that didn't get it before, Matthew's making the connection for him. He's making the hyperlink. So they go, oh, this is the Messiah, and they get it. Okay, let's go to uh, bullet point number three. We've got Cindy. Oh, let me read Cindy. Uh, Jesus' healings fulfill the suffering servant's prophecy. So, Cindy, let's switch it. Let's go ahead and you, sh uh, I messed you up. Uh, do you have, can you read Isaiah 53, 5 first? 
Yes, I can. Yeah, very good. Merciful wife. I love that. Okay, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So it's prophesied that he would be a suffering servant, and then we get to Matthew 8, 16 to 17. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out, and he cast out the spirits with a world. Sorry, with a word, and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, who took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So not only is he the suffering servant, but he is helping those who suffer. Uh, let's go to. Uh, let's see. Is it? Where are we at? I, I, uh, come on, Nicholas. Four. Four. There you go. Thank you. And I'm here. Oh, interesting. I wasn't going to do four, and I did four. Oh, you know what? I'm going to give you a pass on that. Okay. All right. Uh, you know what? Go ahead and read. I'll, 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 you go ahead and read it. You're okay. all loaded up. Uh, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. That's what verse 6 says. Perfect. So Jesus is, is greater than the temple, the place where God lived. And then it says here in, in, um, in brackets, even if for the time being Jesus accepts the provisional arrangement. In other words, in Jesus' lifetime, the temple was still in existence. There's a transition going on. He, he is going to be the, the high priest that is, not only makes the sacrifice, he is the sacrifice. And so the t temple system is no, not, not the sacrificial system, the temple being the building where it all takes place and brings us close to God. Uh, in, in, in the presence of God, that will not be necessary anymore. Let's go to Matthew 12, 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was three days in the belly and nights in the belly of the whale, looking f ahead, looking forward to the one who would bring about salvation, being three days and three nights into the belly of the earth, where he would, he would come out of that belly victorious as the one who resurrected. Jonah is a foreshadowing of what would take place with that. And then we have Matthew 12, 42. Sorry, I'm jumping all around here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So jo Solomon is the first line of, the, of, the, of King David, the king that points forward to Jesus. He, the linea lineage of, Je of Jesus through David, you would think, oh, well, you've got Solomon. And Solomon, was he asked for wisdom so that he could uh, uh, care for the people, um, knowing what, what is the best way to care for him. And he ends his life in a miserable situation, doing so many things wrong. Jesus is the better Solomon. So what, what, is, what is Matthew getting at here? Let's look at what the, it says in between uh, Numbers uh, 6 and 7 there. By quoting Jesus as claiming to be, the great, to be greater than the temple, uh, Matthew 12, 16, um, and greater than, the, than Jonah, 1241, and greater than Solomon in 1242, Matthew forces the question, is this not the priest, prophet, and king? 
toward whom everything in Israel's history has been or oriented. They were being taught this, whether or not they grasped this, this was hopefully they would start to go ask questions like this, like, oh, wait a second. The way Matthew has this worded, there's like a comparison going on. Comparing him to what role? And then we see priest, prophet, and king. Okay, let's go to Matthew 7, 12 through uh, uh, 15 to 21. Where are we at? I, don't, I forgot who had that one. Who did we assign that one to? Sorry, I wrote, stopped writing it down. Matthew 12. Did I sign that one? Assign that one out? Gail, you have that? God bless you. That's a longer one. You should be good Je for it. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. So, and then Isaiah prophesied that in Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. You're fine. Don't worry about it. I, I put you on the spot there. Got you jumping all around. Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Okay. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So the, the, the whole reference to the bruised reed, he's not coming as a conquering king yet. He's coming, it's kind of the idea of, he's, he doesn't, it's not time. There, some may be injured, some may be harmed or in some way. If he comes as conquering king now, he's coming as suffering servant to, to bring about healing. That's the focus to bring about salvation. When he comes a second time, oh, you're going to have bruised reeds. There's not going to be any Christians. He's coming as the conquering king and the separation, and there is an absolute dealing with all that is wicked, and justice will be set up then. He, he is a just God who is perfectly righteous as a suffering servant, but he waits until his second coming to bring about justice on the full scale. Okay, let's continue on with Matthew 13, 10 through 17. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, 
and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people belong, long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. All right. Let's, uh, what's going on there? I, you, can, you can hold off on that. I'm going to just I'm gonna use... Uh, anyway, um, sometimes it's hard to realize. It's hard to deal with this because you think, wait, 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 he talks in parables to confound some? Yeah, he does. He says in Isaiah he's going to do that because those, there are those who are such hard heart, all they want to do is make a mockery of who he is and who the, the believers are that trust in him. So even in the parables, we see Jesus bring, bringing, being somewhat delicate as the suffering servant. He's doing it just so that they can't understand it. Oh, they'll understand it when he comes the second time because he comes as the victorious warring king. But in this one, he just makes sure that they can't hear it. Their judgment is they don't understand. That's the, they can hear, but they can't hear, if that makes sense. And then the last one, and we'll actually end here. I'll open up for a couple of questions. I'm not going to be able to get to three. Matthew 21, 10 through 17, deals with Jesus cleansing the temple as part of the restoration of Psalm 8. Who's got that one? Did we, uh, um, Isaac, way in the back. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who brought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were ignorant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. And then he left them, and he went out into the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. And then Psalm 8.3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which ha you have ordained. <coughs> what is the man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, you visit him. Amen. All right. My, my hope is... First off, let me ask, is there any questions? I know I've, I've run through it kind of quickly. This was 30 pages long in this book, and I tried to get it down on two pages for us so we could uh, have something to work with. My hope is that you see that the writers structure things the way they structure them to get themes of theology out there to specific groups. Why do we have four Gospels? 
because we have different uh, groups of people with different needs, and he's trying to make sure that these different groups have the same information, but through a lens of their culture so that they can grasp it. Jews need to understand that he is the Messiah. Don't miss it. And so we see the, the, the different uh, Gospels having different lenses by which they're trying to view things and, and shine on their audience in a way that their audience can grasp it. And we, thank, we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, you gave us four Gospels, that we can take all these different lenses and go, I think I'm, I'm getting this. This is making more sense to me. Praise be to God. I understand Emmanuel, God, with us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We do thank you for the truths that you have given us in your word. We thank you for the in, incre increase in revelation that is the New Testament. You've given us more insight, more truth. We can stand on this knowing that I may not understand it to the degree I want to understand it today, but as I grow in my understanding with the whole counsel of God, the things I don't know today, well, by your mercy, by your grace, by the power of your spirit, will become more apparent to me. And I thank you, Lord, for that. Help us to have a heart to be like Bereans and dig and continue this journey as one searches for the treasure of their hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.